0: Welcome to the 55 Travellers Arriving and Thriving Audio Conference, brought to you by Sensory Friendly Solutions. I'm your host, Christopher Basmagin. In this episode, you will also hear the voices of co-host Sophie Yang, my fellow Occupational Therapy student, as well as Sensory Friendly Solutions founder and CEO, Crystal Seaburger. In this episode, we welcome Lynn LeBlanc, Executive Director of the New Brunswick Deaf and Hard of Hearing Services, Inc. Lynn has three decades of experience serving the Deaf and Hard of Hearing community. Many adults, especially older adults, experience hearing loss, and hearing aids just do not solve the problem. Lynn has an incredible number of helpful tips and strategies to share with us to help us solve this problem. Lynn, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Well, um, I started in this business uh, back in 1993. Uh, I initially uh, got involved with the deaf community in, in Moncton, New Brunswick. And uh, served on their board, and a position as an employment counselor became available in St. John, and I moved to St. John in 1993 to work as an employment counselor. And after a couple of years, uh, they were looking for an executive director because the person uh, that had uh, had that position before moved. So I moved into that position in 1995, and I guess I stayed there until the present day. Um, My interest uh, in this uh, field came from when I was a manager in a Sportigan store in in Moncton, and I had clients who were deaf and hard of hearing that came in and required um, different services. And uh, so I went off and learned sign language and also learned how to communicate more effectively with uh, hard of hearing individuals to, to give them uh, a certain level of service in our uh, store. This increased our, our customer base, of course, because they were getting services that they couldn't get anywhere else. And from there, I just uh, transitioned into uh, this field because it, it was a, a field of interest to me languages are coming from Moncton.
0: Mm -hmm. So as Executive Director of the New Brunswick Deaf and Hard of Hearing uh, Services, Mm -hmm. could you briefly explain what is your role there?
1: Oh my, my role,
0: (laughs) sounds like a large basket. Well it is,
1: (laughs) my role here is from A to Z. Um, When I first came to uh, St. John Deaf and Hard of Hearing, it was at the time uh, and I, I sat on the board of Southeast Stefan Hard of Hearing. There was two organizations who served the province. We had a uh, operational budget of about eighty thousand dollars a year and that was for uh, two employees plus a contracted employee that was paid for by the federal government, who happened to be me at the time. Uh, and then when we moved into when I moved into the executive director role, I uh, changed the focus of the organization to be uh, operate more like a business as opposed to a social services delivery. We still provided social services to clients free of charge, but we no longer provided services to the community and government and employers uh, free of charge. So mm-hmm. that allowed us to uh, have more financial stability and with that financial stability came more programs, more services. So now we're uh, operating out of three different cities. We serve the whole province. Uh, we've become New Brunswick Deaf and Hard of Hearing Services. So, so I'm I'm responsible for all uh, employees, um, programs, services, uh, contracts with government, uh, finances. Uh, Now that the organization has grown we have an operations director so I am able to offload a lot of responsibilities on the operational director Mm -hmm. so that I have more time to spend on uh, government um, uh, development of programs and services and finances to cover those programs and services uh, and the development of new services. So uh, we started as a very, very small organization at $80,000 and we are now a million dollar service delivery organization, so we have wow. grown a lot. Yeah, we've gone from two, two employees to 10, and we're just about to onboard a new one, and we just got a contract, uh, so we should be onboarding two or three uh, new individuals by fall.
0: Wow, it's really good to hear. The, 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 the really growth over time is just wow, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So you were mentioning uh, programs and services earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Could you tell us a few and what they entail?
1: Well, we have uh, programs and services, and I always say we do A to Z. We, we fill in the gaps. Uh, sometimes there are programs and services that people want that don't exist, and so we just kind of invent them. Um, some of the programs that we have are um, language development programs for, for young deaf children we have uh, family support services for uh, families who have deaf and hard of hearing children we have interpreting services we have literacy and life support programs we have transition services uh, starts at grade 10 we transition students who are deaf and hard of hearing either to post-secondary or to um, to employment or community depending on where they are Um, we do employer in services. We go to different employers and talk to them about uh, hard of hearing uh, issues and how to accommodate and incorporate uh, a person who is hard of hearing in their workforce, how to be more inclusive. Um, We also do that for for the deaf community. Um, We go to um, senior groups and talk to seniors about uh, these types of things. We work with families who have uh, an individual who has just become late deafened, and the family doesn't know how to communicate. The family gets very frustrated because they want to continue their communication style the way they're used to. Mm-hmm, yeah. But obviously, the person with the hearing loss is no longer able to keep up to that. So we have to go in and and in service everyone on on how they need to change how they ha- communicate because we can't we can't teach the person to get their hearing back or to to listen in a different way. It's them who have to change the way in which they communicate. Um, we do that type of service with uh, any healthcare provider, any service provider, families, things like this. Um, we also do uh, technology um, assessments. We go in for schools and employment and uh, some seniors if they co- Want us to go into their homes and we do an assessment on what types of technology would be beneficial for them for their daily living, something that will uh, improve their access to communication, these types of things. Uh, there's probably that's so a, much that's, more, a lot of, but that's all I can this... think of right at the moment.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a, a whole lot of stuff, right? Yeah. It's like a, a lot of programs, a lot of people. Um, in your experience working, uh, at the New Brunswick Deaf and Hard of Hearing uh, Services, um, what has been your experience working there and working with the people and working with your clients? And how does how is that is that ever evolved, or it's it's always is it a constant learning process? Because you know everyone has different experiences. And...
1: Well, it's it's always evolving and it's always different because each client that comes in has a different hearing loss. Hearing loss is not specific to a person, mm-hmm. um, and it depends on an individual's life experience and their experiential learning. Um, someone who's had a lot of experiential learning prior to their hearing loss uh, will adapt in a, a different way than a person who has, hasn't had any. Um, mm-hmm. And it also depends on uh, the onset of the hearing loss. You know, was it during zero to five? Was it during the developmental time frame? Did it come later in life? Um, is it significant enough uh, that a person would be considered deaf? And if a person is considered deaf, did they have access to language or is there language deprivation? Language deprivation in both deaf and hard of hearing has m- a major impact on their academics and their, their educational uh, capacity, which impacts their life uh, at, the, at the later end when it comes to employment so um, it has been enlightening and a challenge uh, all at the same time Uh, but i have enjoyed each and every individual that we've worked with uh, and and seeing them be able to understand their hearing loss and um, move forward with their hearing loss uh, as opposed to um, the isolation Uh, we try to avoid Isolation uh, as much as we can, because that's the major pitfall is that most people with the hearing loss will isolate themselves so that uh, they don't cause frustration to the greater community and family. Uh, But the isolation uh, causes much mental health issues and and, uh, it could potentially even uh, help promote uh, Alzheimer's and dementia and things like this. So so that's the pitfall that we try to get people to avoid is is that whole isolation piece depending on of course the age range and and their ability to get out and and be social Uh, Mm -hmm. i have to say COVID 19 has not been our friend
0: in in the deaf
1: and hard of hearing world so uh trying to keep people social through technology uh, is has not been a great experience yeah
2: and for these individuals who, are, who feel very isolated, what are some things that, uh, that you have done to increase this kind of accessibility to them, to keep connected with others?
1: Well, the first thing we do is work with their community, like the family that they're from, their friends. We try to engage them in, in incorporating uh, and, and bringing the person along like they always had before. Uh, by instructing them on how to be inclusive because what happens is is that you know if you're playing cards and there's four of you and and all of a sudden the other person decides that you know the struggle is too much and they start staying home while well, they become isolated and the group isn't really totally aware of why they're no longer coming so it's a matter of of just bringing the disability to the forefront and explaining to the the friend or their social group, how to be inclusive. And that usually works. Um, there's a lot, it depends on how long they've been isolating themselves. And that isolation is sometimes, if mental health issues have set in, hard to break. Lynn, I'm going to uh, interject with you, just uh,
3: made me think of a. Uh, of, uh... Uh, important question to ask uh, with that um, really nice example so oftentimes you know we think of um, just uh, uh, traveling and that could be even just going out in our own community right going out to a uh, you know it can be a the, the card game that we have with our friends and families or or going out within our own uh, community to uh, to yeah to social settings right just going to a um, restaurant so i think of yeah what are the examples again for older adults uh who for whom uh be, uh hearing loss might be might be new right and just the the things we do at home going out to a right. you know a, a show um a restaurant like you said what what is that like and and what changes can be made
1: Well, we had uh, one client that liked to travel a lot, but was not wanting to travel because they couldn't hear the conversations that were going on in the car. So she was no longer enjoying those outings. So we were able to to get her a piece of uh, assistive technology that she would borrow when they were going on a car trip and the microphone would fit into the front of the car so she could hear all of the conversations. So she felt far more inclusive that way. And enjoyed going out on the day trips and the weekend trips that they used to go on. Um, restaurants, you have to be, you have to be able to openly communicate your needs to to your friends and social group that's going out because you want to pick a restaurant that's not an open restaurant. Because if you go into an open restaurant, it's very noisy. The din of everybody talking and everybody eating is is quite loud. Um, You want to pick a restaurant where there is a booth is a perfect place so you know you have the two tall sides on both sides and generally a wall there so the sound is only coming in usually from one direction Uh, or if you're in a restaurant that is a little more open that you haven't had a choice then you want to seat yourself uh, behind a wall rather than in an open air so that the sound doesn't just travel by you. Um, and again, your your participants would have to be in-serviced and you want to keep your grouping small. You don't want a table of 12 because you're never going to hear the person at the end of the table. Then again, neither is the person with the hearing. If you're hearing, you're not going to hear a person at the yeah. end of the table <laughs> when That's there's 12 true. people. Uh, but but the the, the thing is, is that people with a, a significant hearing loss have a tendency to believe... Uh, and they forget what it's like to hear. They have a tendency to believe that we can hear everything when, when actually we all don't hear everything. But, but my suggestion for those types of groups is, for social events, is to keep them small so that the person with a hearing loss is not um, at a greater distance. And because the further the distance, the the less that they're going to hear just gave some uh,
3: really uh, wonderful examples in that Lynn of just from the point of view of just the, uh, the restaurant owner or operator right and, and just you know the example of different types of seating right making different types of seating available to, to patrons of a restaurant. Do you have any other suggestions for those owner operators and uh, types of things that they can do to, to change to make travel and tourism for their guests more comfortable?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, they need to have lighting. Uh, that's that's one thing that uh, happens often. They need to make their lighting uh, independent so that uh, if they have some consumers that come in that are deaf and hard of hearing, that they're able to keep the light on their table and dim the lights everywhere else uh, so that they can see each other. Uh, keep keep on the tables. They don't they don't need visual noise because that tends to uh, get in the way of being able to see another person's uh, non-manual cues so that you're able to uh, speech read and, and things like this. But most especially they need uh, something that, that has acoustically based, you know, something uh, It like not all restaurants have booths, but if you happen to have a booth, when you're reserving uh, your, your uh, place, they should mention that, they have a significant hearing loss, and that a booth would be the most appropriate place, and they could reserve that. Um, the other thing they would need is is to ensure that the walls that they have, where they have seating on the other side of the walls, is that it's padded. If they have some 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 nice uh, uh, quilted type padding, you know, that's very uh, very uh, designer friendly. That would be helpful as well. Um, because what happens is, is they all put a ramp in and think that it's totally accessible, but, but it's totally accessible for, for people with mobility issues perhaps, but it's, it's not necessarily accessible for, for a person with a hearing loss. The other thing is, is that 10% of the population has a significant hearing loss. So we're looking at a significant amount of population to try and encourage as uh, clients and as the baby boomers, maybe one of them, get older, the hearing loss goes down and the biggest demographic out there right now that you want as a client or a patron is a baby boomer because uh, they're in that age group. They, they all seem to have uh, dispensable cash at hand and they're the ones that you want as repeat customers.
0: Yeah, you don't want them having to say, oh, I don't want to go there because I'm going to have trouble with X, Y, and Z, right? They, you, you want to accommodate them as much as you can.
1: Absolutely.
0: Because it, it just provides a good customer experience too, right? It's not all about the money. It's also about, like, providing good experiences for the clients mm-hmm. to say, hey, mm-hmm. they really enjoy their time, uh, and they might want to come back later, right?
1: They might want to come back, and they will tell others. Um, yeah, and, and it it also it also it's not just an accommodation for people who are deaf and hard of hearing uh, they will find that that comfort level of of ease of listening uh is something that other patrons want as well so uh, it, by accommodating the deaf and hard of hearing they are making uh their their uh, business uh more comfortable for hearing and 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 uh for ease of communication. So uh, any age level can appreciate that.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. So thinking about environments that may be pretty loud, like for instance, airports or train stations, can you think of some ways to increase the accessibility for people with hearing loss?
1: Well, I guess when you say airports, it, that must be because you come from a bigger city because airports around here are pretty quiet guess <laughs> they're rather small, but um, they need, uh, because when the announcements come out they're they're always garbled. So a person with a hearing loss is never going to catch that. And they could potentially miss their flight or miss a change of gates or a- a- anything like that. So, in, in an airport, they, it should all be uh, done uh, visually uh, so that they're able to, uh, you know, they're going to do it auditorily always, but they should also have access to uh, a visual notification. And uh, federally, now I, I have not checked uh, what type of accommodations federal uh, regulated airports and train stations have done. Uh, but if a person uh, with a significant hearing loss uh, checks in, there should be a way for uh, those types of notifications to be sent directly to their smartphones. Uh, we live in the world of technology right now, so that, that should be uh, something that uh, is easily done. I mean, they now have smartphones that link directly to your hearing aids so that if you're in a small environment, you can use your cell phone Uh, as the microphone, uh, similar to an FM system, which cancels out the background noise so that you just hear the voices. So the technology is advancing day by day for people with a hearing loss. And and, uh, places like airports and train stations and bus stations uh, should be able to uh, use that technology.
0: Yeah, because if you think about it, we hear the PA, we hear the person saying last boarding call, but we never see anywhere that says last boarding call, right? You just see that huge board full of date, mm-hmm. times, and destinations, but you never hear those last ones that we hear, we never really see them, right? Right. So it must make because, it hard for yeah. some people who say, hey, what did the person say? Did they call my name? The, do they need my luggage checked? The, is it my mm-hmm. flight that's being called? Like, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's all those doubts that creep in sometimes, especially in an that's airport right. where it's super busy. There's a lot of people around. You know, yeah, especially in a bigger city, right?
1: Yep, yep. And and it shouldn't be that difficult for them to set up something that would would go directly to one smartphone. You would have to register for that, but I'm I'm assuming hard of hearing travelers uh, would have no issue registering for those types of notifications to come straight to their smartphone, so that they're aware of last minute changes. Mm-hmm. As PA yeah. systems are probably the worst possible medium for uh the uh, disbursement of of notifications when when you have hearing loss
0: Mm -hmm. um shifting gears a bit uh i want to talk about um let's say traveling and site visits and museum tours and uh concerts and all that kind of entertainment let's say that someone would want to go to if they're visiting another town or they're just so, mm-hmm. moving around their own town, right? Are there any common difficulties that you hear from clients about going to such events? I remember, like, before you mentioned the restaurants and stuff, but are there any more significant ones in those types of settings?
1: Um, yes, of course. Depending on, uh, depending on the, um, the level of the hearing loss, uh, people who are deaf uh, rarely get access to any of that stuff. Uh, there are no laws in Canada as of yet to to um, enforce that type of accessibility. Um, it's not like if you travel to the States and you go to any of those events, you ask for the accommodation, you will get it. Um, for a person with a significant hearing loss, depending on the museum, some of them have the... Um, the headsets that you know, when you get to a GPS location, it starts telling you what um, what the display is and what the mm-hmm. information is. Um, so, so you can link. They can link that to their hearing aids through Bluetooth, uh, and that's providing the person with the hearing loss uh, that hearing aids are still functioning uh, well enough for them for them to be able to get the information in that fashion. Um, there are like I said uh, there are smartphones now that work connected with your hearing aids uh, that will act as a FMDM type system so that uh, if it's a guided tour then the person would be holding holding the phone uh, or holding the mic or having the mic clipped on their, their shirt so that uh, you you can hear all of that uh, explanation uh, in, in Canada You don't get a lot of accommodations as as you go along because uh, the Accessibility Act is new and it's more for government services right at the present time. It doesn't really cover private um, organizations and private businesses. Uh, Hopefully uh, at some point it will expand into that similar to the ADA laws in in the U.S. where you can go to uh, Disney World and. Get all kinds of accommodations. You can go to the theater in the United States and, and get all kinds of accommodations. So uh, we're we're still quite a bit behind here in Canada for that. Uh, concerts, on the other hand, uh, I would recommend that uh, you put hearing plugs in before you go in. You will still hear the music through the hearing plugs, and you will not cause further damage uh, to to your hearing. Um, if, it, if it's a music concert, there, there shouldn't be a need for uh, accommodation because it's pretty loud to start <laughs> with.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely those speakers are pretty loud in those big stadiums, yeah. right? Even in the smaller yeah. venues, they sound sometimes as if uh, they're being blasted straight into our ears.
1: Yes. And if you were a baby boomer, that's why the most of us are headed to the audiologists as we speak to get hearing aids to cover the damage that we did back in our younger years. (laughs) So uh, I recommend that people wear hearing, uh, hearing plugs uh, every time they go to a concert. Um, It will not, it will not filter out the sound of the concert. It will just protect your ears from damage.
3: I'd like to, uh, to follow on with, uh, um, Christopher, you made me think of a little qu- uh, question or, or just something to explore uh, with Lynn and just that, I'll, I'll call it this, that little bit of uh, uh, sensory overload or that sensory uh, sensitivity. Um, and just uh, so, for example, you know, Lynn, you talked about the, the uh, hearing aids and the amplification of sound um, and the technology some of the, the uh, significant advancements um, in technology uh, I'll say with some hearing aids um, they tend to be right uh, much more expensive and maybe not uh, accessible uh, to 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 everyone right the technology is there not always uh, not always accessible um, so for for hearing aid uh, users um, so sound is amplified right and and sometimes it's not always the sound you want to hear that's amplified right it's not always the conversation it's everything else what you know what would you say uh, again and just talking a little bit about like customer experience and and so people going out and and enjoying uh, places Um, so they you know just sort of ties into that what's important for uh, you know restaurant owners you talked about museums you talked about just any of those public facing uh, venues what's important for them to know Uh, there's a little bit of an assumption that that hearing aids solve the problem Right. Um, And that that, you know, the sensory overload, well, you know, they're getting a little bit more of everything with the hearing aids. What what would you say to that?
1: Well, I mean, that that's a whole workshop in itself. But but suffice it to say that you're right. The general public believes that hearing aids putting in a pair of hearing aids is like putting on a pair of glasses, which is not the case. You put on a pair of glasses and it it rectifies your vision loss to 2020. However, hearing aids don't don't return any loss. There is no once you have a hearing loss, it's it's gone. There's no bringing it back, and the hearing aids don't allow you to hear what's already lost. It allows you to hear what's left around your loss, so that you can use closure skills uh, to be able to discern and decode. Uh, along with uh, non-manual cues, because a person with a significant hearing loss, what happens is they hear a third, they gleam a third through non-manual cues, and then they they have the closure skills for the final third. So, So for those businesses, it would be good for them to know that just because a person has a hearing aid doesn't mean that they can hear everything. And and like Crystal was saying, what a hearing aid does is increase the volume by 30%, and it's directly input into your auditory nerve. So sometimes it's hard to diffuse out all of that noise and hear the voice, because the voices are at the very high end of the spectrum. So it takes a very little hearing loss for uh, the language discrimination part. Uh, so if you have a moderate hearing loss, you are already uh, losing a part of language discrimination. So it doesn't take much. So for those businesses, it would be important for them to know that uh, a person who wears hearing aids, you still need to incorporate non-manual cues. You still need to be able to communicate in an a, in way efficient manner. You have to look at them. Sound only travels in one direction. If you turn your head, that sound is gone. If you look down, the sound is gone. You need to have eye contact and speak directly to the person so that they can hear you. And that's at all junctures. That means the hostess who's sitting you down, the waitress who's coming later, uh, all of those things. Now, if they look people in the eye and speak directly to them, um, that's a m- matter of respect for everybody. That would improve their customer service, not only for a person with with a hearing loss, but people in general. Um, so, a lot of the the uh, the key points for for communication for a person with a hearing loss is also a key portion for people in general, and and uh, people in general will appreciate that those kind of uh, details.
3: Lynn, that's, uh, I, you've um, made that point a couple of times, and I think that's an incredibly important take-home message. What helps uh, people who are deaf and hard of hearing, what helps older adults with hearing loss, actually helps many more people,
1: too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's much like when they started putting in ramps for, for uh, people in wheelchairs with mobility issues. Well, they, it also helps seniors. It also helped uh, parents with strollers. It also there's there's a whole significant uh, you know people out there that that one accommodation was meant for one disability group, but it helped a whole lot of people. So it's just the whole process of universal design and inclusion, yes, you're including people who have normally been excluded, but you are going to be including a whole lot more people by nature, by trying to include this one group.
2: Going back to your thoughts of like, wearing hearing aids kind of amplifies the noise, I was thinking, uh, what, what are your thoughts on background noise? Like, um, in restaurants, they often like put in background music, how does that affect people with hearing loss?
1: Well, it's just extra noise. Um, a- as a person who's hearing um and and who's uh, a baby boomer and starting to experience hearing loss for themselves uh i personally don't like background music because music tends to get turned up and up and up and up and uh, generally you have a hard time communicating with the person who's actually sitting across from you So background noise is the biggest nemesis for a person with a significant hearing loss because then you're competing with the noise around you with the person who who you're trying to communicate with. Uh, And that's in all settings. Work. I mean, I have a photocopier and printer right behind me, and and when it goes off, I can't hear anybody else. So so background noise affects us all, and we don't realize it. Until it turns off and then you go as soon as the room is quiet, you have this calming and what that what that is, is that your brain is going, oh, my God, because you're you're just constantly trying to tune out uh, background noise. And for those of us who have our all of our hearing, like the brain is able to, you know, screen out that background noise. But for those of us who have hearing aids, that background noise comes directly into the input nerves and and you're it's not as easy to to uh just tune that out um i remember when my dad first got his hearing aids uh he put his hearing aids on and he's like what's that noise and i'm listening i'm going what that noise can't you hear that noise oh dad that's the fridge <laughs> he had he just for the longest time couldn't hear the fridge anymore He goes, well, that's that's annoying. I said, well, welcome to the hearing world. But he just, that's that's the fridge. Then the fireplace went on, and he was like, what's that noise? I said, Dad, it's it's just the fireplace. He's like, oh. So he had to get used to all of those environmental noises again to know what they were, so that he didn't feel anxious that okay, is there something wrong? Uh, So so there's a learning curve for when people get hearing aids and start hearing the world around them again but when you're out in the real world there's a whole heck of a lot more noise uh, and background noises that you're not able to filter out you know when you're on the street and the cars are going and people are honking their horns and things like this that's that's a lot of noise that is hard to filter out
0: and I would imagine it's harder now more than ever to communicate with each other if you have uh, hearing problems, especially with COVID and people wearing masks and being behind face shields and all these kinds of barriers. Yep. So not only do you have a barrier in front of your mouth, but you also if you have deaf and hard of hearing, you rely sometimes on that visual mouth yep. mouth reading. Is that is that the term, mouth reading? Uh, visual or, cues. Yeah, the visual cues. Non-manual that cues
1: and speech yeah. reading.
0: Yeah, and you rely yeah. on those like sometimes yep. because maybe you didn't hear it right or... You know, you have to fill in that gap, as you mentioned earlier. But with these masks on, it just makes it, I, I want to say, a world of a lot harder.
1: Well, right? it, COVID-19 has not been friendly to the deaf and hard of hearing community. Uh, communication has, has uh, not been easy because of masks and all of these things. In New Brunswick, though, uh, they have uh, a stipulation that if, the person is deaf or hard of hearing, you are able to remove your mask, providing you're socially distanced to deliver the information that you need to deliver and then you mask up again. Now, not everybody's comfortable with that. And that means the person who's hard of hearing has to continually advocate for themselves to say, uh, I need you to, I'm hard of hearing. I need you to remove your mask. Uh, and if they're deaf, the same thing, unless they're with an interpreter, then they don't have to worry about it. But, um, you know, the mask has muffled uh, speech. I mean, it's difficult to uh, understand what people are saying uh, with the mask on. Uh, so so that has made things increasingly uh, difficult for for people who, with hearing loss. And and of course, when you're masked up, you only see the rise. So, you know, non-manual cues and speech reading is just not there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being able to to connect the dots and close that gap has been a a big challenge uh, for seniors uh, and for people who are hard of hearing and the whole isolation piece, right? So they're all home and, but we're going green soon. So the world hopefully will return to our new normal in a couple of months and uh, hopefully, um, People will be able to get out, and become social again, and and uh, bring that back to our lives because we are social beings, and without it, it it, uh, it has major impact on our mental health.
3: Lynn, you uh, you mentioned a, a couple of times just the those visual cues, those non manual. Uh, Cues, um, and I, I just, I, and you gave so a couple of examples earlier on. I'm wondering if you could just talk about the importance of that, um, just that again. You, respectful communication just letting people know working with older adults you you know you may or may not see that they wear a hearing aid that hearing aid definitely doesn't solve all the problems what what are some of those just very practical tips they really amaze me at how important and uh, not understood or adopted they are
1: Well, non-manual cues are, are generally uh, facial expressions, body movements, body language, those kinds of things, um, and and when you're working with seniors and people with a hearing loss, it's very important to be expressionate. So you know, smile, make sure that you know they feel welcomed. Uh, the other important thing is is to um, if if the communication is is uh, serious in nature, then you have to have a serious face on and sadly if you're angry then you you can't be smiling and be angry because you know that the non-manual cues don't match the information and people with a hearing loss will always side on the body language and the non-manual cues than they will to the actual words you're saying Uh, so if you're saying uh, no, I'm not happy and and you're smiling, then they're going to go, okay, that that can't be true because they're smiling and and things look good. And uh, the body language also will tell all. In in the deaf community, it's also movement, like leaning forward, leaning back, that they all have different meanings, even though you're saying the same thing. Uh, The most important thing is for them to speak clearly. Uh, what happens is, is when a person's hard of hearing, all of a sudden they seem to think that they have to show them their tonsils. They go, uh, "Hello, how are you?" Well, that distorts your your speech, so they don't necessarily understand what you're saying. They also tend to think that I have to shout at them. So as soon as they raise their voices, it it your throat constricts here, and it makes. Sh- it gives you the same appearance of frustration and anger, even though that is not your intent or your, 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 uh, the case. But to the person with a significant hearing loss, when they're looking at you, that's what it looks like. So, so it's important to enunciate, speak clearly. And if the person doesn't understand what you're saying, don't repeat it. Just rephrase it to a different, a different way of saying the same thing because not all words can be read on the lips. Uh, Two-thirds of what we say uh, is formed inside the mouth, so only a third of what we say can be read on the lips. The rest is all non-manual cues and closure skills, uh, providing the person knows the topic. So it's always important to have the person's attention first identify the topic and then you can uh, communicate and it makes it much easier for the person with a significant hearing loss and then they'll be able to follow they can see the non-manual cues and they'll be able to tell at what level of intensity this communication interaction will be. This is so fascinating
3: I love the, these just very practical uh, tips tell us a little bit more about those closure skills talked a little bit about that but I'd, I'd like to hear more uh, about that because I I think I use them an awful lot so
1: yeah close your skills is is a euphemism for guessing <laughs> so so what happens is the person with a significant hearing loss providing they know the topic and they're they're hearing a third they're reading a third and then what they'll do depending on that's why I said earlier it depends on the exper- experiential learning of the person, they will be able to go, oh, we're talking about this and this, so this is what they're saying. Um, if, you're ta- if you're talking to a person uh, and it's a topic that a person hasn't got any experiential learning, they're likely to use use whatever closer skills they have, which is your skills, your life experience, your experiential learning, and you put it all together and you come up with B, and it will be off topic. So anytime you are communicating with a person who's hard of hearing and or deaf and they're off topic, it's because the closure skills were off. So you have to be able to bring them back on topic and do what we call an expansion. So you, you elaborate on, on the topic so that, oh, okay, we're talking about that. And then they're able to, to give input. So those closure skills are, are very important. And uh, also in the seniors, their closure skill, Gets smaller, even though they have had a wide life experience. Uh, as they get older, they tend to uh, relinquish some of that life experience, or they 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 get stay with the life experience they had when they were employed, even though it might have been twenty years ago and and things have changed within that twenty years. So sometimes you have to. Bring those pieces into the conversation so that the senior goes, "Oh, right, yeah, like the world has changed," or we do it like this now, um, without without trying to make them feel um, inferior to to the conversation because they're not aware of uh, the new the new way or what's going on in the world today.
0: I would imagine, uh, from my point of view as someone who doesn't have uh, hearing problems, that the difference between someone with hard of hearing and the someone who is completely deaf is night and day. Is that correct? It and is. Their yes. Right? And I feel yeah. like those two lifestyles are completely different and they're both hard to deal with. Like, can you tell us a bit more about, let's say people with, uh, the differences between like the two populations or the two like, individuals?
1: Well, people who are deaf and when we talk about people who are deaf, we're talking about people who are culturally deaf, which means they use a manual, uh, language American Sign Language here in mm-hmm. Canada or langue signe québécois so there's two types of sign language um, oh I shouldn't say that there's also Indigenous sign language for the Indigenous population who live up north uh, they have their own sign language and there's Maritime sign language which is uh, prevalent to Atlantic Canada um, that's who we call the deaf community. Uh, they're called they're culturally deaf and it's identified with an uppercase D on the deaf. If you see a lowercase D, that means someone who is medically deaf. It means when they have their audiogram they are like profoundly deaf. Uh, but not all uh, individuals who have lost hearing to be profound have chosen to go the manual route for education. Um, Sadly, um, the difference is, is that when uh, someone is born deaf and they, by the time the family chooses sign language as an option, it, it is later. Uh, it's, it comes around usually four or five years old. Um, there's a lot of language deprivation. Uh, language deprivation has a major impact on second language learning. So if you don't have a strong first language, uh, then you won't have a strong second language. Uh, Unfortunately, everyone's mainstreamed here in in New Brunswick, and what happens is is, uh, the schooling is either in French or English, so it's second language learning for them. So if your first language is low, your second language is going to be lower, uh, which is why um, even with mainstreaming, Uh, the the majority of deaf consumers uh, have a reading uh, English and or French reading literacy level about grade four to six. Now their ASL comprehension levels is much, much higher because it's their first language and that's the language by which uh, they learn and work and communicate. they have a whole different cultural system than we do. Um, people who are deaf are collectivists. Uh, people who are hearing are individualists. We have a very individualist society here in, in North America. Um, sign language is, is similar in nature to the Asian type um, sign uh, language. Uh, And their culture is very similar. They're very collectivist. Uh, So for the deaf community, what's good for one is good for the whole. They share everything, all information, uh, so that everybody can learn through the experiences of others, because they know that not everybody is going to have the same lived experience. And the more they can share about their experience with the greater world, which they call the hearing community, uh, the better other deaf people can organize themselves and learn. Um, there they have their own language traditions, norms, values that that we all have. Uh, so any any language signed or spoken uh, is connected with culture. So you can't have culture without language and you can't have language without culture. Um, the difference is is they, their culture and a lot of their behaviors within their culture is incongruent to ours. So um, the two communities don't truly understand one another uh, because their, their cultural norms are, are incongruent. Um, it's it's kind of like uh, a newcomer coming to Canada and having to learn uh, what our norms and values are so that they can uh, assimilate at the same time trying to hang on to their cultural identities and their cultural norms uh so it's it's a challenge it's it's a big challenge and um, the two the two are so so different yet they they face similar challenges and similar uh, discrimination uh, but at a different level and capacity
0: just think about earlier when you were talking about Someone with hard of hearing going to a restaurant, the eye contact is really important, and speaking to you, not to the side or anywhere. How would what tip would you give uh, workers and in the travel and restaurant industries that have deaf clients who are completely deaf? How how what's the most effective way you think that a person who doesn't have this problem, let's say like us, would communicate with them? What what, what kind of tips would you give?
1: Well, the, the first thing is a lot of the things are the same you got to look at them directly in the face because they want to see your non-manual cues. You want to be very welcoming because if you're not smiling, they're not going to feel safe going in there. Uh, the best idea is to bring them to their seat uh, because they're going to identify already that they're deaf. So you know that oral communication is not going to work. You bring them to their seat. I would encourage them to bring them to a seat that's well lit because they can't communicate in the dark. And uh, be open to what they're going to do is show you on a menu what they want. So make sure they have a, a menu. And uh, writing back and forth is the best way to communicate with them. A lot of people like to still talk because even when they identify they're deaf, they they still talk to them and they still can't hear you. So that's not a very effective mm-hmm. um mode, although the general population think all deaf people can speech read, much like uh, Sue Thomas and FBI, but nothing could be further from the truth. That's fiction and TV, Uh, but media has a big effect on us. And and they tend to believe that all people who are deaf and hard of hearing can speech read and that they can speech read at 100%. But obviously that's not true. Uh, So lighted area looking at them, having them point, and, and uh, take their, their, uh, their, their orders in that way. And if you want to communicate with them, just write back and forth. A lot of them in today's will take their smartphones and write out what their, what their order is and show it to the... But what has to happen is there needs to be a respect from the service industry. When they look at the language from the deaf person, because they're writing in their second language, they're not writing grammatically correct English. And what you need not to do is look at it and and do one of these in the sense of, I I don't really understand what this is. That's highly insultive to them. And and they feel very self-conscious on that. It would be like if you were an Anglophone and you were in the middle of Quebec and you used your grade four French to order your food, and the, the restaurant person laughed at you for, for your French, even though you're trying your best. So so what we have to remember is English is not their first language. And and when I say that, often people in New Brunswick will say, oh, is it French? No, it's not French either. It's American Sign Language, which is not a written form of language. So when they write, they write in, in the order that it comes In their language and and often it's it's backwards to to english grammar but when you read it conceptually you should know what they want because you're in a restaurant they're ordering food it's not rocket science you need to use your own closure skills to figure out what it is they're asking for Mm -hmm. and to do it without you know the eye rolls and the, the 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 Furrowed brows to say I don't really understand what this is, that makes them very uncomfortable, and they feel very judged.
3: Lynn, you've given us you. just a phenomenal number of incredibly helpful tips uh, and strategies, and just our understanding um, has yeah I'd increased tenfold. I, and exactly what we want for for our audience, right? Just in a, in a lovely way, sharing what is helpful,
1: right?
3: What helps?
1: Well, I hope
3: yeah. I hope it helps. Yeah. Helps include more people, right?
1: Well, that's it. Yeah. That's it. the The more we include others, the more we learn, as we all have more to learn about others. And uh, cultural diversity is uh, one of the richest. Gifts we could all get, as we are not alone in this world. Thank you, Lynn. I
3: think I think some of that has to be part of our tagline for this yeah, IO that, that, conference. That last <laughs> That's we learned that was like really like... Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Brilliant! Like I said, Sophie and Christopher. I know you can't you can't see my facial. You don't have any of my nonverbal cues throughout this whole thing, and I'm like, yeah, um, yeah, phenomenal. Lynn, I cannot thank you enough for just yeah sharing of your wisdom. Uh, any, yeah, anytime. with Sophie and Christopher, and yeah, with the our
1: audience. Anytime, anytime.
2: I would like to thank Lynn LeBlanc, Executive Director of the New Brunswick Deaf and Hard of Hearing Services for joining us in this podcast. Her experience in the business is very valuable, and we are very glad that she was able to share her experiences and tips with everyone. If you learned something new in this episode, you may also appreciate our episode with Shelly Ann Morris and the tips and strategies she shares about helping people with vision loss. You can find more resources about making tourist attractions, events, and locations sensory-friendly at sensoryfriendly.net.